Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series Alive, we're taking a look at how we can embrace the daily resurrection life Jesus provides for us. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon. Well, good morning. That woke you up, didn't it? So how many of you were recovered from what I'm calling stupid daylight savings time? Yeah, I've recovered finally. It takes about a week, doesn't it? takes about a week to get over that. And how many of you are recovering from the fact that like one whole side of your bracket has been blown? Though it's exciting to hear about a 16 seed beating a number one seed in Virginia, it's not so exciting to just see the X's all the way down because you had that team going to the finals. Uh, I'm not speaking from personal experience or anything, but... Uh, but it's fun. So thank you, Arizona. Thank you, Virginia. Anyway, glad you're here and glad you're a part of this time. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm going through this book, reading this book. It's called Start With Why. It's by a man named Simon Sinek. It's how, it's the subtitle is How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Action. Start With Why how great leaders inspire everyone to action. It was a gift from one of my kids uh, for Christmas time. And Sinek introduces an interesting concept that I'd like to share with you. He says, you know, in observation of life and observation of the world, what he knows is that there's this principle that he entitles the golden rule. And he says it's an, you can find the golden rule, the golden it's actually called the golden circle, but you can find the golden circle in, in everything, and, and here it is. Here's the golden circle. He says the golden circle consists of three concentric circles that has why in the middle, then how, then what. How many are familiar with this? How many of you heard Sinek talk about this? Okay. So he says we have why, which is the purpose and, 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 and the why of why we do what we do, and the how is how we achieve that, and the what is, is, is actually uh, the what we actually produce. And his argument is that most of us live not from why to what, but actually we, we live from what to, to why. And he says it's, it's easy to do that because what is the easiest thing to identify? Uh, why is maybe a little fuzzier, a little harder to describe. So we tend to gravitate to what? We become orientated in our lives to be defined by our what? By what we do? By what we produce? Now, we know this basically in, in, in our greeting in America. How do we say? We say, hey, how are you? And uh, we say, I'm doing well. What do we say? I'm doing. I'm doing well. Or when we get to know someone, we say, so tell me a bit about you. And what's the first thing we, we say to identify ourselves? We talk about what? Our profession. We talk about what we do. Oh, I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Or I'm, I'm, a, I'm a preacher. Or I'm a manager. Or I'm a salesman. I am defined by my what. And so in life, what we do is we, we focus on the what, and we think because we can define clearly our what, then that will help us understand our how, our, our how, and that will define our why. Our what's become the definition of our why's, our purpose. Our life becomes centered by what we do, by our what. Are you following with me? Is this making sense? You're touching your heart? You're getting what you're saying? Okay. Now, the trouble with this is that when we're defined by our what, it really goes against the way in which God created the world. 
the way God created us. Because in life, all of us are pursuing something bigger than our what. We're pursuing really the definition of our why. But if we define ourselves by our what, what happens is we, we kind of get out of sync with how God designed us. In fact, we start living in a manner that is actually quite destructive to us. We become performance-orientated. We become uh, measured by our, our what, by what we do, and it drives us. And in fact, when you think about it, if we're motivated by our what, and you think about, well, how does that get me going in the morning? How does my what get me up every day? We now come to the realities of life in that if we're defined by what then what motivates us is not something from the inside, but instead what motivates us is something that Sinek calls carrots and sticks. Carrots and sticks. What motivates in life are carrots, enticements that will be beneficial to us because we are performing, we're doing the what correctly. Those enticements are really are matters of greed. We get more money. We get more influence. We get more strokes to our ego because of this care. That's, that's what motivates us to move forward. The other side of it, the stick side of it, is being motivated by the negative which I think is where we tend to go mostly. We tend to beat ourselves up because we are being motivated by the stick, the fear of losing our identity because we're failing to produce in our what. When we're defined by our what, what happens is, is that we become more and more influenced by manipulation. Those who lead try to make us produce by manipulation, carrots and sticks. We do it to ourselves. I know I do it to myself. When I define myself by what I do, then I'm more prone to beat myself up when I fail. And I'm more prone to, to measure my success by, by the, the strokes I get from my what. The Bible calls this worldly living. The Bible calls this the ways of the world, the, the, the stuff of the earth. The Bible maybe even say this is the way of the law. And the reality is, is that even in the church, we suffer from identifying the person who is right with God, the Christian, by what? We suffer from a disease that infects our thinking and infects our operation because we define the good Christian by things that can be characterized as the what. You're saying, what are you talking about, Didi? Well, let me give you some examples. Real Christians only read the King James Version. Ever heard that? What is that all about? Well, that's a what, right? It's something that's extra biblical. It's not even found in the Bible. Even if you're reading the King James, it's not there. But people characterize a certain what as equal to being right with God. Real Christians speak in tongues. That's a what. Real Christians vote Democrat. Believe it or not, there's Christian circles that hold to that truth. On the flip side, real Christians always vote conservative Republican. You bet. Yeah. <laughs> we have a what over there. We have a what. 
extra biblical application to define what is a real Christian. Real Christians dress in a certain manner. Real Christians sing only certain styles of songs in their worship time together. Even in church, we have this tendency to gravitate to define ourselves by what? When we define by what, we become motivated by sticks and carrots. Now, this has been a problem with the church from the beginning. From the beginning, from the very first birth of the church, there's always been this struggle with the church, people of faith, to navigate, to gravitate to belief systems that mark believers, real, those that are in, by what, not by why. Let me read to you from part of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Colossae. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. So Paul's addressing teaching that has come into the church whereby these individuals are saying, if you don't follow these certain rules, if you don't do these certain things, then you're not right with God as God intended. They're adding to what God has said clearly in his word as markers as this is what a Christian is supposed to look like. Uh, how you eat and drink, how you do certain festivals, how you follow this and that and the other. He says, these things which are mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and worship all, and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause in it by his fleshly mind, and, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. He said, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. So he says, this kind of thinking, this what-defined thinking is elementary principles of the world. Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, don't handle that, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to the things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but here it is, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Why? Because this kind of thinking doesn't inspire you to live for God. This kind of thinking relies on manipulations, carrots and sticks. If you define yourself by what? Paul says, this is where you end up. Let me share with you a story from baseball that I think illustrates this well. Baseball is a sport, and in sport, you're defined by what you do, right? You either throw a strike or you don't. You either hit the ball, you don't. You either catch the ball, you don't. You either throw the ball, you don't, right? You make plays, you don't. It is what it is. It's a productive, produce-orientated game. All sport is that way. And so you have individuals that rise up into this game who are defined primarily by their what? They're defined by their good 
production. They're defined by their success. They're defined by the fact that they can throw strikes and they can throw 97 miles an hour and they can through do this and they can do that. And so their whole life, their whole identify, identity is defined by what? And what you have many, sometimes are the individuals that all of a sudden deal with something in their mind where they have some kind of belief change in their heart where all of a sudden they can't do what they naturally do and do it well and then there is trouble. So let me, let me share with you a, a, a story that I think illustrates the, the extreme of what defined by our what brings us to. Because the Bible says that when you live in this way, the end result is depression. The end result is anxiety. The end result is death. The end result is unfulfillment in your life, a, a lack of joy that God promises. And so I'm going to share with you a story. It's, it's, a, it's a story about a man named Rick Ankeel. He was a St. Louis Cardinal. I know, I know we're in Reds territory. But Rick Ankeel was an unbelievable pitcher, left-handed pitcher, a stud, as we say in the baseball terms. But Rick Ankeel shares a story, and it's a story, a, a segment, that, a series of segments that we pieced together from an HBO uh, piece called Real Sports, hosted by Brian Gumble and uh, the... The guy who's doing the interview is named, uh, what's his name, John Frankel. And so I want to see, just kind of get a touch on, on his story and a little bit about what happens, because use this as an illustration of what happens uh, when we choose to follow a path where we're defined by our When we define ourselves by what and inevitably face the reality that our what we cannot produce at the level that we think we can our life falls apart. And it puts us in a place where we don't need to be. Now, that's a, that, that was a summarized story. Ankiel tried and tried and tried to get back to pitching. Inevitably, after seven years of an immense struggle that forced him to alcohol, to try cope with it, that's when he decided to give up. But what happened next? Well, what happened next is actually a testimony to the gospel. What happened next? Someone, a father figure, because Ankiel's real issues, real struggles stem from an abusive father that beat the snot out of his mother, and he witnessed all that, and, and his way to escape was to play baseball, so he was defined by his what in that way. What happened next was a father figure, Tony LaRusso, the St. Louis Cardinal, said, no, we don't choose you because of your, of your what. We choose you because of who you are. And in that, in that moment of grace, in that moment of decision, Ankiel found his why. His why. His purpose, his love for playing baseball, and he came back to play baseball, not as a pitcher now, but as a hitter. You see, the cure for our struggle with what is to say, let's put things back in order and let's start with why. Let's start with why. Let's start by understanding our purpose. All great inspirational leaders do that. They, they clearly communicate the why and motivate folks because of inspiration towards the how and then to the what. And there's no better leader, there's no greater person than Jesus. 
to define our why. Because the story of the Bible is this, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What does that say? That says God chose you regardless of what you've done, regardless of whether you failed or, or succeeded in your what. God chose you, and in choosing you, he considered you valuable, and he brought you into his family. And in his family, he not only gave you an identity, but an identity that has a why, has a purpose. As a child of God, you're not only valuable to God, you have value to give to the world. You have a why. And from your why, you move in now to live in the how and to the what. Remember I talked about Colossians. Paul addresses the problem of these people coming into the church, trying to take over the church by teaching that you have to meet these certain standards, these watts, in order to be right with God. Well, Paul addresses this issue, and he says, chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, he talks about identity here. He says, therefore... If you have been raised up with Christ, that is all of us who are Jesus followers, who are raised up with Christ, resurrection power, keep sinking, seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. If we have died... In Christ, and we are raised to our new identity, we become children of God who are now inspired to live our life. The word inspire means in breathe. The word inspire is really a word that can mean filled with the Spirit, so we can take some, some, some insight there. You are inspired by a Christ centered why? A life that's not motivated by fear. Not motivated by, by sticks and carrots, but instead motivated by a love for God, fulfilling a purpose that is related to the real identity of who we are because of God's grace. That's why in the progression of his teaching, Paul will say, So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You see that? Do you see the progression here? Do you see Paul starts with why? He says, you... Believers at Colossae, you who are Jesus followers here at Mount Carmel Christian Church, you have been chosen of God. Not because of what you do and what you don't do, but because God chose you because you were created by him and you have value. And that value has been expressed by the fact that Jesus died for you and rose again to give you new life. You have been chosen by God. You have why? You have a new identity, child of God with a purpose that's related to the family business. What is the family business? The family business is to honor God. And how does God honored? He's honored when we love one another as God defines it. We're not motivated by sticks and carrots. No, we're inspired by the Spirit 
as we recognize our identity and we dedicate our thinking in this new way and appreciate the realities of grace, being reborn by the power of the resurrection, we enter into a new system of thinking and operation that's defined by our why, that motivates into us to our how, and then produces the what of our life. And the what of, the, of our life needs to be what pleases God. And, and the Bible clearly says that what pleases God is for us to be defined by love as God directs it. Not love by our own terms. Love as God directs it. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, he says in Galatians, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Jesus, we discover our why that motivates us to our how that produces our what. I know this seems somewhat cerebral and it's kind of heady stuff, so let me give you an example of this in practical terms and an issue that leads to our day-to-day living. Let's talk about drinking alcohol. Drinking alcohol. There's some Christian groups that say that drinking alcohol... Any, shape or form, any way, shape, or form is a out-and-out sin. If you have a beer, you are destined to burn in the fires of hell, according to them. And what that is is, is really a, a, a what that's added to Scripture because Scripture clearly teaches that drinking alcohol is not a sin. What the sin is is getting inebriated, getting drunk, Losing control of your faculties to be controlled by the presence of alcohol in your bloodstream. That's what scripture says. But there are groups of Christians that have, have, have this need for black and white. They have this need to be defined by what. And so they say, if you drink alcohol, it's bad. If you don't, it's good. Being, teetotal, being a teetotaler is the pure definition of a fully committed follower of Jesus. But that doesn't line up with what scripture teaches. Now, in reaction to this, there are some churches now that understand this and understand there's this perception out there amongst the world. And in order to be palatable to individuals in the world, they actually now have taken up a stand where it's almost like they're promoting drinking alcohol and saying, hey, 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 the Bible says we can drink. It's okay. Let's drink. And it's okay to drink and have a good time because that's part of our social culture. And, and we want to appear to show you God's grace and show you the realities of Scripture. And so they've taken up this notion that they've actually, in many ways, gone to the other extreme and saying a real Christian does drink alcohol in the way they teach and in the modeling that they have. And so they have this other side, and I think is, is the other side of the extreme because I think that's an error as well. Because they're making that a what? If we, we apply the testimony of Scripture here and we say, let's just start with why. Let's just start with why and begin to work from that place and to deal with the what of drinking alcohol. Let's, let's just start with why and think through this. The why is, is that you do not belong to yourself. You belong to Christ. Your new identity is a Jesus follower, and you're called to live by the standard of love inspired by the Spirit in you. So there's the why. That's who you are. And we see in Scripture, there's an example very similar to this, though the issue is not alcohol. The issue is is eating meat that's being offered to idols. In the city of Corinth, there was a massive amount of pagan uh, pagan temples, and they would offer up lots of 
animals for, for, for sacrifice, and they would take that meat, and then they would like have a butcher shop at the back end of the temple. I don't know if it was like that, but then they would say, hey, this meat is up for sale, and you could go and buy your steaks and your chops and all that from the pagan temple. That's how you got your meat. Well, at that time, the Christians who were in the church of Corinth, some were having a problem with eating this meat because, because they had come out of paganism. They understood what had happened to this meat. And if they ate this meat for them, it would be a violation of their core beliefs of following Jesus. But Paul says, no, no, no. The reality is, is that we know it's just meat. We know it's just meat. But then he says this. He said, but those of you that are mature, those of you that understand your why, those of you that are living by love, understand that though you can eat this meat, though you can technically be okay with God just eating this meat because it's a good steak, because it's offered to an idol, when you eat this meat, you have a responsibility to those amongst your circle of friends, your influence in the church. You have a responsibility to be mindful of them. And if they have a problem with it, though you may think it's immature, though you may think they need to grow up in it, though you may think they need to, to be, get over it, you will choose not to eat the meat because you love them, because you want what's best, and you do not want to do anything to hinder their faith. Well, in the same way with alcohol. If drinking a beer may influence someone who has come out of alcoholism, who's watching you, who's in your sphere of influence, it may be hard for someone who looks up to you as a fellow brother in Christ because they were beaten or abused because of an alcoholic in their family. If drinking alcohol in any way, shape, or form may cause a friend or a brother to have a struggle in their faith, then choose not to. Why? Because of love. You may choose to restrict your freedom in drinking a beer in order to bless another. See, we want black and white. We want yes and no. We want to be able to say, these are the what's and these are the what-nots, right, in our faith. But the reality is, is that God doesn't save us to live in that way. What God saves us to do is to live by why, to live by the principle of love, which is color, and to apply that principle according to the wisdom and the insight and the circumstances that are there. Does that make sense? Sports on Sunday. Ooh. Should Christians participate? Should we let our children do it or not? Start with why. The big example everyone points to is Eric Little, 1924, Olympics. Man who refused to run on Sunday. Refused to run at the 100-meter finals because it was on Sunday. Big, big, awesome testimony. And then he chose to run on the 400 meters and won that. And so he made a stand. I will not do sport on Sunday. And that was his stand. And that was a powerful testimony, and that was the appropriate testimony at that time. But you know what? If you read on in the story of Eric Little, he goes to China. He's a missionary in China. Second World War comes on. China is occupied by Japan. He's put into a prison camp. In the prison camp, the situation is so bad that, that, that he sees that there's the need to encourage the, the, the people that is part of the camp. So guess what he does? He organizes a soccer game on Sunday. What? 
Did he compromise his principle? No, he's living by his principle of love, doing what's best in order to honor God in the situation that he's in because he does not define by his what, he's defined by his why. Resurrection power, we're talking about new life. New life comes in by a reordering of how we operate. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, those of us who were baptized, that, that picture is, is illustrated right there. We go down in the waters, we come back up. What does that mean? Well, that means not only are we raised, we, we're raised up to new life. No, we're raised up to a life that's to come, but a life that we have in a new life, a new way of orientation. He says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Start with why. That is what we're called to live. That's resurrection life. Start with why. And let that then move you to your hows and your what's in your living. In Jesus, we have a new identity. That identity is child of God. We're called to live in the family business of loving others as we love God. That is resurrection living. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for this text, this scripture. It's kind of interesting to think about, and I pray that our conversation will be one that will begin to really uh, take impact. Our tendency is to, to be defined by our what, to, to go to those places that, that define us in, in the simple terms of, of our performance. But yet, you call us not to live by our what, but instead to live by our purpose and our why. And I ask that you would help us in that, to discover our identity in Christ, dead to the always, new to live by resurrection power for him. Not to, to make our faith a, a matter of markers that we've imposed upon ourselves, but instead our faith a matter of gratitude, living to honor God and to bless others, doing what's best. Even if it means sacrifice to ourselves, even if it means uh, denying ourselves something that we, would, we know is a freedom that we can do. I pray that you would help us to live that out. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.